I think that college radio's self-imposed smallness is a threat to its future. That doesn't always ring true to me because I think there are small college radio stations that are doing amazing work for their communities. This week on Radio Survivor, is college radio in the U.S. too small for its own good? Or is what makes it good its smallness? Plus, I climbed a roof to hang out with the volunteers erecting a new low-power FM station's antenna. And it turns out that those folks really loved their days in college radio. I think it's an amazing group of people and a lot of amazing energy that's um, come together around the idea of keeping it like it used to be in college. Welcome to Radio Survivor. This is the show and podcast in search of a tagline. We need your help. <laughs> no, no, no. We have a tagline. We are a, 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 pod, a community podcast about radio that matters to communities, to uh, commercial, non-commercial radio, college radio. Uh, okay. I ran out of breath. We have a lot of ideas. We have not enough breath. So we we're asking you, the far more clever uh, Radio Survivor listenership, to help us out. Something we can say in one breath that sort of encapsulates uh, what we do here so that when someone uh, tunes in the fir- first time, uh, they know. And uh, we can put it on the website and stuff. And we'll credit you. In fact, we'll credit you forever. Whoever comes up with the winning one, um, if I, maybe I'll find something in in our in our office studio to send you. Paul is wildly searching for for yeah. for, for swag. I have a stuffed monkey. <laughs> I have. Uh, so yeah, send it to us. We wanted to be able to fit into a tweet. We want a one breath tagline to describe what kind of radio we like. So, so tweet us uh, hashtag Radio Survivor tagline. Um, or uh, sent to us by email. But I mean, I like the Twitter thing because I like people to kind of, I like people to, to bounce it back and forth. I mm-hmm. like to see some like uh, energy around it. Um, but if you can do that, and we are at Radio Survivor. But if you use that hashtag, we'll find it. Hashtag uh, Radio Survivor tagline. I'm Paul Reesmandel, and I'm uh, one half of the hosting and, and production team. And my name is Eric Klein. I'm the other half of the host and production team here at Radio Survivor. And, and on today's program, our third half, uh, Jennifer Waits, is going to be joining us to uh, host, not to mention produce uh, uh, the the whole rest of the program. Uh, Jennifer brought us a, a, a special segment today. She'll be talking with uh, Ken Mills. He'll actually be talking with all of us. Um, he is a radio consultant. He is a radio veteran, I think it's fair to say, with uh, years of experience in commercial and non-commercial radio, as well as college radio. And uh, he sparked some conversation in a non-commercial radio world with uh, two blog posts he wrote about college radio. And uh, we talked about them in last week's show. You may want to go back and listen to that if you haven't already. And we thought it would be great to have Ken on to hear a little bit about uh, his uh, thoughts on college radio. Um, we have points of disagreement. Uh, so we thought it would make for yeah. some interesting discussion, I although wrote, there's many points in which we do agree. I wrote in my notes, exciting tension. There was an exciting tension uh, that that our interview with Ken uh, brought up on the program. I'm really happy that we had him on. So stay tuned for that. And then following uh, that interview with Ken, we have a segment of uh, three voices of people founding a new low-power FM station here in Portland. And I was uh, I was on the roof with them as they rose their station's antenna. But the reason why we're bringing those voices to this program is because they each had something uh, special to say about college radio. Yeah, it's wonderful to see how folks get 
get sort of energized by college by their college radio experiences and it sticks with them and people go seek it out again often through community radio or getting involved in in other other creative avenues and now with the opportunity of low power fm they're helping to found new community stations all around the country. And yeah. so the, we have one station here in, in Portland, Oregon, which is one of, of many. Um, and it's great to hear these folks tell us about how important and vital their college radio experience is and, and how it makes them want to create new radio stations. So now we'll hear from Jennifer Waits. Open the interview with Ken Mills. So, so first, I just wanted you to talk a bit about what you do. I know you're a consultant and you write about radio, um, but if you could give us kind of an overview, that would be great. Sure. Um, I have been in the radio industry in one way or another for uh, over 40 years. Um, I have been in commercial broadcasting and I've been in public broadcasting since the uh, late uh, 1980s. And I was uh, a general manager of a couple of public radio stations, KCSU in Fort Collins, KCSN in Los Angeles. And then I went to work for what was then American Public Radio, now Public Radio International, where I was uh, director of news, which meant I was in charge of, at that time, uh, Marketplace, BBC World Service, uh, CBC, uh, The World, uh, Christian Science Monitor Radio, and several other projects. And I left PRI in 1997 to open my own consultancy, and that's what I've been doing ever since. And more recently, I've um, started blogging. Uh, The inspiration was from Mark Ramsey at the uh, Public Radio Programmers Conference in 2014 in Portland. I was talking to Mark, and I've known each other for a long, long time, and I was talking to him, and I said, Mark, what is the role of your blog with, you know, you're getting business visibility? And he said, it's essential. And he told me a little bit more. And so he said, try it. And so I did. And uh, I found that I really, really liked it much, much more than I thought I would. And so now about half of my time is spent working on the blog, and the other half is still uh, spent working uh, on consulting projects. My major client is American Roots out of New Orleans, the two-hour show with uh, Nick Spitzer, which is on a lot of public radio stations. And I still get quite a few other spot consulting projects um, over time. And one thing that I thought about when listening to the podcast, uh, the previous one to this, is that I don't know if we so much disagree as I think we have a different perspective on things. Uh, I come from a management background. I come from a a background where uh, in the commercial world, if you don't make your budget, you're out. And in the non-com world, you may get another chance but at some point you're out. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's always exceptions. But I look at things through the uh, through th- through that lens, and you know, here's really where I'm coming from. Uh, I think that college radio's self-imposed smallness is a threat to its future. Uh, the key of long-term success in any kind of nonprofit, non-commercial media in particular, is independent is independent financial uh, sustainability. And I don't hear anybody in college radio talking about that. 
it's kind of the same as it was in the 1970s. And um, the reason I talk about threats is they're coming from all directions. First, universities are cutting. Second, student fees are getting out of control. And third, uh, the FM spectrum, uh, the, the price and cost of getting into the FM spectrum continues to rise. And so um, the big public radio companies and particularly the big religious broadcasters such as uh, Educational Media Foundation are on the hunt for stations that they can uh, sweep up that for some colleges and universities might seem like a, a windfall. Case in point is WNTI out in New Jersey. Um, and so um, I really uh, feel that uh, this is something that uh, college radio as an industry needs to both be aware of and to also examine uh, as a long-term uh, sustainability issue. So when you, when you talk about college radio's self-imposed smallness, can yeah. you just explain what, what you mean by that? Well, yeah, most of the now first let's let's define college radio. <laughs> to me, college radio is based at an educational institution and uh, uses primarily uh, students on the air and um, some oftentimes for for credit in class or something like that. Uh, the budgets are typically quite small. The one number I ran was $41,000 being the average budget I had for 110 stations. And the view more often than not is inward. In other words, they really don't broadcast to the uh, larger community, they're really more concerned with their peer group, people right around them, and if it's educational, sometimes it's, it's solely training. But there isn't a lot of thought about audience. And I've seen over the years working in nonprofit media that the, the, um, there is a direct correlation between audience size and the ability to generate uh, revenue from listeners, whether that be pledging or underwriting or events or whatever. And I don't see much awareness of that within college radio circles. And that's what I mean think, by the smallness. Yeah, yeah I, I have a couple of things I want to break down in there. Um, are you only thinking about FM radio stations? Are you only thinking about licensed college radio stations? Or are you also yeah. thinking about streaming stations no no i'm not thinking about streaming stations or carrier current i'm thinking about fm broadcasting stations got it um and that's and that's solely what at least for uh this purpose what my interest is yeah because i think um i think you're right that some to some degree we may have just a different lens because i think about college radio as much broader than just terrestrially licensed stations um, you know, because certainly there are a lot of small stations, carrier current stations. You know, I think there are still some carrier current stations, actually. Uh, there are stations that broadcast to a small area using Part 15. Right. right. Um, KASR at uh, Arizona State was like that. It was carrier current and uh, uh, very one watt, one tenth of a watt or something over the air. You could get it in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. So. 
So I think um, I, I have a great appreciation for small college radio stations. So I think um, when I hear that smallness is a threat to the future, um, that doesn't always ring true to me because I think there are small college radio stations that are doing amazing work for their communities. Well, I agree. I agree. It's not all or nothing. Um, one thing that I have to say, I really appreciate the feedback uh, that was on the last podcast about my uh, writing. Uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up is that I was wrong when I said that there are fewer college radio stations now than at some other time in the past. And uh, as one of you folks kindly pointed out, uh, there are a lot of new LPFM stations that are coming on, which you're much more familiar with than I am. And so in total numbers, you may be right, and I may be wrong. There, there, there may actually be more on the air counting just uh, frequencies, broadcast frequencies. Yeah, and I think we all, um, it's hard to actually find numbers. You know, it's hard to find a number of, what is the exact number of college radio stations today? Well, I know. It's not and that's, that's well-tracked. Sorry, that's one of the things that I'm so concerned about is that um, there is no central point of information for college radio. It's performance, uh, uh, it's budget numbers, uh, any sort of uh, rating numbers, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, CBI, I think, does a really good job, but they're just not, they're, they're more for the academic advisors uh, um, in terms of uh, the, the people who are there year in and year out. And I love some of the things they do. Their student awards are terrific and you know, I had hoped to be at their conference this year, but I had a conflict come up when it was uh, here in the Twin Cities. But uh, I, I agree with you, and I don't really see the college stations talking about the the managers and owners and whatever of college stations talking about uh, uh, these issues. Um, so small isn't bad, but sometimes thinking small can make you be that bug on splats on the windshield that you quoted me saying. <laughs> so, so can I'm sorry, that was a little post. over the top, but you know, it was the first thing that came to mind. You know, so Ken, this is Paul. I, and so my question is though, I mean, you say you don't perceive that stations are looking outward. I mean, where does that perception come from? How are you measuring that? I mean, what do you see as evidence or what do you see as lack of evidence? Well, first thing is the lack of any uh, uh, ratings, tangible ratings. Uh, in, in the story that you're talking about, I um, uh, went through over a thousand uh, stations that were in the most recent diary and PPM Nielsen audio report. I can only find what I believe are four college stations. So why, why are ratings now, important? There's a good reason why they're... What's that? Why are ratings important? Uh, because uh, the size of uh, an audience is directly correlated to the ability to have more diverse funding, particularly listener funding. And my belief is that college radio has been too dependent for too long on student fees and the largesse of the universities involved. So I think, you know, I, I, as a, a former college radio advisor myself, so I spent right, uh, five right. years. You were as, down as in Evanston. Uh, yeah. You're a good station. You w, know, so. Uh, 
NRU, NUR, right? Yeah, WNUR. So I can, I mean, so on the the ratings angle, I mean, I think it's very common for for exactly as you notice for college stations not to subscribe to ratings. Um, In part, simply it costs money. That that they yeah. don't have, and also to and to also that. stations tend to not subscribe to ratings that know they don't have a lot of listeners. But I'm completely open. You know, I've heard this year in and year out uh, uh, that oh, the ratings are there. You just don't see them in the official ratings. Or well, whatever. that's true. If you do not subscribe, if yeah, if your station doesn't subscribe, you'll never show up in the book. Uh, right. If you're not, you know, and and uh, further complicating things is that if you're in a uh, people. In a people meter uh, market, you have to have the yeah, encoder, PPM. right? If you're in a PPM market, you have right. to have the encoder, which is a further expense. Uh, you wouldn't really have right. one unless you're subscribing to ratings to begin with. And, and in, so I don't disagree with you about the fact that having a larger, more diverse audience means you can bring in more fundraising. Um, but it, that not subscribing to ratings, I don't think, indicates that a station doesn't care about its audience, doesn't care about its impact, nor that it's not having an impact or in, and is not actually raising funds. So WNUR raises a, a fairly sizable portion of its uh, funding from the community at large. Um, right. Right. And, and meets its goals. And it's not a station that subscribes, at least when I was there, was not saying yeah, subscribes and, to... And uh, I don't want to say that this is a situation where uh, uh, every uh, college station is the same, because uh, in one of my articles, I praised WSUM at, at, in Madison, Wisconsin, at, at UW there. And man, I tell you, they they definitely are in tune with the community. And so how and, are you measuring that? So with WSUM, you, you hold, you know, and I'm aware of them, and it's certainly a great station. How are you measuring that they that they're really in tune? How are you comparing them against some other station that isn't? What's the indicator to you? Is it ratings or is it well, some other, something else? Um, you know, with uh, I try, what I try to do is I say I, I'm I look at this through a manager's eyes. I first try to look at what is the factual evidence. And one thing that WWM or WM, WSUM has is is they started uh, a Friends of Foundation, which is essentially their soft money site. That's where their pledging dollars, their underwriting dollars, and their events dollars go. And out of the last budget I saw, the 300000 or so, about half was coming in from that which means they are still dependent on student fees and they are still dependent on the uh, university, but they have opened up other funding sources of which uh, they're able to um, count on. And the way to do that, of course, is to not look inward, to look outward and to build bridges in the community. And so it's not any one size fit fits all, Paul. Uh, you know, uh, your station there in Evanston was another good example. I mean, a lot of involvement in the clubs with uh, with the things that were going on right around uh, the station. Even though it doesn't cover the whole Chicago market, you really focus on the listeners who are in your area, and it's for more than students at Northwestern. And and I think that that is a more common uh, actually outlook for stations. And and I think See, I disagree on that. I, I I think that that's the outlier. So Jennifer, what, what's Radio your, what's your K view? in Minneapolis is another outlier. Okay. Why do you? Th- I mean, so 
again, that's so. I mean, you brought it up at one example in WSUM and and setting up an, uh, this foundation, which of course is a great idea. I I think it's it, it, in fact something which a lot of stations could could look to. But but so, what is the evidence that stations are not looking out to that? You know, what what is that counter evidence? Well, I have to say, Paul, well, I have to say it's anecdotal. Um, I, I've been working. I, I've managed four stations in my career. Consulted probably fifty. And it's anecdotal. It's the vibe you get. You can tell right away when you go to the website. Uh, you know, I sent Jennifer earlier a link to a story I wrote about uh, Cleveland uh, and the non-coms there. And uh, there are a couple of pretty good ones there, but there are three or four that you really wonder what they're doing. I mean, when you go there, it doesn't seem like it is intended for a listening audience. It's intended for the faculty advisor, the teacher, or the students and their immediate peer group. But isn't it possible that that could be an audience? You know, I, I come from more of a college radio, like the stations that I've DJed at have been more of a free form type college radio station. Right. And, and there are, there are listeners. I mean, it's, it's small compared to public radio. It's small compared to commercial radio. But there are people passionate about those stations and those formats, even though they're not considered um, formats that attract, you know, big donors and advertisers if you're a commercial station. So I, I think, um, you know, I have an appreciation for these these stations that have niche audiences, too. I don't but I also come solely from a college radio background. So I, I've never really aspired to be any different kind of station. So I, I oh, wonder about that too. Ahead. If um, I know you have a commercial radio background and a public radio background, Correct. Um, do you have a background in college radio as well? Because that yes, I, 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 I've advised two college radio stations and I've consulted uh, several more, including radio K here in the twin cities. And did you do college radio? You know, I did. I, I started in commercial radio, but uh, our the college I went to, little college in, in South Dakota, Augustana University, and uh, they put a station on in my senior year. And oh, yes. cool. <laughs> so, so I know the beauty of it. I, I, I really do. <laughs> I know. I know the beauty of it, but. As a business person, and, and Jennifer, let me just say, you know, I know that you have an advertising background. Now, you probably did feasibility studies for clients. When you're doing a feasibility study, you have to deliver some tangible evidence and not just a feel-good. And I think many college radio stations are existing in the land of feel-good. That's not bad. They can turn that into uh, more tangible support. But at the end of the day, I'm a business person, and if you don't have the dough, you're not going to go. So, well, I mean, I've also, um, I mean, since you're mentioning my, my business background, um, you know, my background's in consumer insights, where I've also worked at companies where I had to measure impact, and impact right. wasn't always um, these monetary things. Impact right. could be oh, this website really changed my life. Um, and, you know, I've done better, a project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I worked on an amazing, on an amazing I website know, I know. where, where um, people felt like they were getting support and, and they felt like their lives were changed because they used it. And, and I hear right. these same stories about college radio where, 
for a lot of students, it's it's one of the most important parts of their college career. It's the reason they might come back for a reunion just to see people from their college radio station. Sure, um, in that's my what I do too. So, that, that, those are all great feel goods. What do you not like about my approach? What, what do you criticize my approach for? <laughs> well, it's not. I mean, I think I think I agree. We have different perspectives. Um, I I think it's not necessarily. You know, for a lot of college stations, it's really not about ratings. It's not about the money, and a lot of people shy away from that. Um, but that doesn't so, need to be an all or nothing. You know, when you say don't care about ratings and don't care about money, when you're responsible for the station, when you're the manager, faculty, advisor, university person, whatever, you got to at least have one part of one eye on the budget. Yeah, I agree. As a, or there as, isn't going to be any radio. Yeah, I agree. As as a former, uh, you know, uh, advisor to a station, of course, you're paying attention to the budget. I guess my concern is that college radio gets turned into run of the mill, non commercial, or public radio. And but, now, and, why is that bad? Well, because I, I worry that, that, that's that's a difference in perspective. Well, I, 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 I worry. Here's my concern. My concern is that then the students get computed out of the equation because um, as sort of amateurs to begin with. Kids. Yeah. You know, as, as young people, as, as amateurs, they may not be able yet to have this to, – to create programming of the same sort of level of professionalism as uh, uh, even like a KEXP, which while it has a university licensee, is not staffed by students. Um, you know, I, I, so I worry about students being left out, about the educational aspect of it being left out. It's the same thing. I would worry that it, the same standard were applied to student theater or if the same standard were applied to sort of uh, division three athletics or if the same standard were applied to all sorts of other um, college and university based uh, projects, which do engage the public. Right, often the community around, but aren't necessarily in and of themselves sustainable by by revenue, but and are put on in part because a large part of that uh, of its reason for being is indeed educational, and you invite the community to share in that to be entertained yes, and engaged. Correct, and 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 none of that needs to be um, need needs to deny. Uh, doing the best job you can, you know. You you had one quote on on your one of your blogs that I really really like, and it was um, uh, you said, Paul. I believe that good media online and broadcast should be or should contribute to a better world. Now, you see, that's exactly what I feel. Too. Right. Yeah. You see, I think. I, I uphold higher program standards than maybe some other people. I, in some ways, with my bully pulpit, with the blog, want to have the quality and the ability to attract listeners be better at all the non-commercial stations that I uh, write about or do consulting work with. Um, I mean, there. I'm not hearing a search for excellence 
in college radio very often. I mean, sometimes it's there, the awards are there, and you're right, there are some well, there are some great stations. But uh, excellence, but I mean, I will, I, will, is, I will push you on that point because I think that excellence right. excellence is often a very subjective notion. Right. And so excellence by a standard yeah. is set by uh, Rush Limbaugh or as a standard set by Ira Glass or as a standard set by uh, Nick Spitzer, who, who produces a fantastic program, by the way. Um, or is it a standard that that is is sort of focused on on a different uh, element of the aesthetics? Um, you know, Radio Lab is a program that uh, is focused on a very different aesthetic than those other shows um, and sort of stands yeah. alone in its aesthetic. And was not very popular yeah, I, for a I, long time I, I because agree. of it. I think, uh-huh. you know, it's too bad, but that's, uh, you know, I think we disagree on it when I say it's too bad, uh, uh, that I'm just saying that overall where the entire forest is going, that of college radio in general, should be of concern to those people who you know, Jennifer, like you, who write about it, and others who, who work in the field. Where is it going? Um, and, and I don't hear that being addressed. Where, where, where is it going? Well, it's going nowhere now. It hasn't changed since the 1970s. I mean, KAUR in Sioux Falls, I could go down there. Well, they actually got sold to Minnesota Public Radio, so they're no longer there. But uh, through their whole life, they never had a budget of more than $25,000, and uh, I did see a couple of surveys that were done in the market, and in a small market, they had between 800 and 1,000 weekly cumulative listeners, and the and and that you know that's a tangible number, something that they could take to you know uh, uh, merchants you know who might be interested in uh, sponsoring but i'm just saying it's not all or nothing and this is not something for every station there are some uh, universities and stations that will be literally learning labs on the air where they will put somebody on the air to sink or swim but that's not thinking about the listeners and that's the, the and 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 that's my point Hey, Ken, it's Eric. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us on Radio Survivor to, to talk about this. I sure. love it. Um, coming up later on the podcast, I'm, I actually had the opportunity yesterday to go up on a roof and join some people here in Portland putting up a new low-power FM station called Freeform Portland. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to oh. we're going to hear from them. And I was so surprised. And the reason I'm bringing it up now is because a number of the people who are founding this station are all people of a certain generation, uh, Gen X, uh, learned to love radio from their college radio experiences. And so they uh, they're going to be later on on this very show uh, talking up uh, their college radio days and how important it was to them, the things they learned from it. And uh, the reasons uh, they want to reproduce that kind of radio experience again uh, for Portland, which actually doesn't have that uh, level of college radio, the the kind that they experienced um, in this case, uh, the people right, were. Right, were, and a lot of it is when the Reed College Station went off. And Eric, let me ask you this. Let me ask mm-hmm. your opinion. What do you think of X-Ray? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm why? very familiar with them. They carry American roots. I've been to the station. Yeah, uh, X Ray. Uh, I know is great. some of the people, and but what's your opinion of them? Well, I have I have a lot of opinions about X Ray because they're doing they're doing two things, distinct things: uh, talk 
and music. And so, uh, right. Uh, on on the one, I, and I think that's very admirable. It's also sort of a difficult a difficult uh, circle for them to square, a square for yes. them to circle because they really are uh, looking at two distinct audiences. And, yeah, they uh, were started primarily by people who uh, wanted the Tom Hartman show on the air. Yeah, and then there was another group of founders who were very. Um, who are very focused on on the music culture? Uh, some uh, it's funny that you bring them up because a lot of the same people are now founding uh, Freeform Portland, and so oh, really? uh, yeah. Really? And uh, I'll, I'll look you up online. Is is there something? Do you have a? Uh, does Freeform Portland have a have a presence online? Yeah, they're getting there. They're they're not on the air oh. yet, but they should be oh. on the air. Uh, later this year, we could say that uh, with yeah. with relative well, certainty. Luck. So you know that's what I mean about you know the really there's a new generation of LPFM stations, and Jennifer, I know you also write about community radio, and you might sometime take me to task on some of my comments there because many of my criticisms about college radio also apply to community radio. But there's a new generation of yeah. LPFM stations where the old rules and the old hang-ups aren't necessarily present. Yeah, and so Ken, I it want... sounds like, Eric, that's kind of what you're, you yeah. folks are getting. Well, I wanted to give you an opportunity to sort of uh, to respond to the idea that that for them, their, their college radio experience at a free-form college station where um where passion about music was key where the human uh love of uh everything in recorded music uh no no specific genre no specific artist just um just just an overwhelming uh passion for music and then the community that that comes to a radio station in this case college radio stations around that music learns from each other uh, learns from the music and then uh, brings all of that into their individual shows as a, a community slash college radio station. Uh, in this case, these people were um, they were students at a station that had community members as DJs, but also um, student staff members and then some student DJs. Uh, these are the sorts of stations that that really um, light a fire under under some people and i'm wondering if if that's the kind of station that's that you're talking about when when you're worried that they might be small because you know is well, free form me, uh, small let, yeah uh, let, let, let me just take that through my lens my lens yeah, is thank you. you see i'm i'm a management guy and a consultant and i would say golly that's great i've experienced the same thing some of my best friends are still people i worked with in college radio and you know we get together and we you know compare notes and whatever from those times and what we learn but does it pay the bills is it sustainable i mean it's a feel good not a sustainability well, and, I, I think we're worried about sustainability. I think at all points, we're worried about sustainability. And uh, speaking for myself only, my concern is always, though, that there be the balance with that spirit around which the station has been built, that an obsession with bigness doesn't end up blandifying a station you know, taking it away from its roots, taking it away from its students, because I think we've seen that happen as well, um, and not being not 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 so much at the station being sold, but where essentially professional DJs and staff take over the station over time, 
And that tends to bleed the station out in many cases as well. And, and, and then it goes away. Um, and, 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 you know, and then I think that's, that's my principal concern. At the same time, you are completely right. Uh, let, me, let me make this very, very clear from my opinion. Stations need to be sustainable. And it will be different for every single station because some universities are very happy to continue funding their stations. Others forget they have stations for all intents and purposes, right? <laughs> and it's like a rounding Correct. error on a spreadsheet. Well, I, I agree with you uh, and that, uh, you know, you have one important side of the story here, and that is stay true to your essence because the number one thing that listeners listen to a station for is the value that they place on what they get from that station. And that comes from the essence. What is the brand? What is the uh, promise that the station makes? And you're absolutely right. You know, a heartless station is is a waste of time. Uh, but to me, so is a station with fewer no listeners. Jennifer, you... Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I've been quiet. Um, I think... I think you could have a smaller station that has a very passionate listener group um, because there's certainly FM college radio stations that, that I think you would say are small and have small audiences, but are still sustainable um, perhaps because they have very low budget needs and a passionate listener base, even though it's small Um so it's, I don't know, I, I like having diversity on the dial, and I feel like if everyone is very concerned with having the highest number of listeners possible, I, I kind of agree with Paul that I think that ends up creating less diversity on the dial. I like, I I like tuning I in to high, I like tuning in and hearing high school radio stations where kids are unprofessional and and doing surprising things on the air. Um, to me, that's delightful. And, and it's part of why we have the non-commercial side of the dial originally is for educational purposes. So I, I would hate to see a situation where we lose college radio stations out of um, economics and, and fear of ratings Right. So I, that, that's some of where I'm coming from. Um, and, and I think there's a place for, for these niche stations that play all metal or all big band or um, are entirely free form and strange and completely out there. Well, um, I hear you. I uh, don't think you can generalize. I mean, those stations are and will continue to be part of the, uh, the ether out there. But uh, let's look at this exactly the other way. A question for you, Jennifer. What if you were sitting in Portland, and we'll just say, for instance, that you had control of the frequency 91.5, and <laughs> you had 50,000 watts of FM power. Now, you have a choice. You can have something extremely uh, uh, modest in terms of the programming, you know, as you say, the high school kids on the air or whatever, or you can become a uh, force for a better life in Portland. Now, this is all hypothetical, but that's my point. Can't you do both? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> but that takes a will <laughs> I mean, uh, and I'm not saying that if you had that frequency and whatever, that your goal is to be number one. Uh, your goal may be to put uh, 
great uh, uh, hip hop and R and B on the earth. Not something that's in Portland. Um, there's a station here in Minneapolis, very similar demographics, but does really well. KMOJ Community Station, and man, they're all over. Uh, but I'm just saying that. To me, it's sad to see a station that has the potential to be doing so much more just barely on the air. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm I'm saddened when I encounter college radio stations that are running largely on automation, you know, without live DJs. I feel like that's, you know, an, an unfortunate situation. Like, I would rather see a station that has live programming all the time. Well, so, yeah, and that's what uh, that's what people are figuring out. It's like you know, Pandora and all these are putting DJs on and stuff because <laughs> they they realize people like that human heartbeat. Yeah, so I I mean I, I would agree that you know every college every radio station can do a better job, and we should all um, look closely at what we're doing and try to do better. But um, the gauge of what is better and what is excellent varies by person, by station, by listener. So so I might have a different perspective on what excellent programming is, for example. Right. Um, you know, like I like things that are unpolished. Um, so I don't know, is that excellent? <laughs> well, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, and I can see, as we said at the top of the conversation, that we're coming at this from different perspectives and I can appreciate your perspective. And without the heart that you talk about, there also is no uh, radio contact or media contact. I mean, it's the same with a podcast or a blog or whatever. It needs to resonate with the, um, with the listeners or or viewers or users, you know? Mm -hmm. So Ken, you know, given that we, we all agree about something very important, right? We all agree that college radio is valuable. And that it's valuable yep. to the students, it's valuable to communities, to you know, to the listeners. Um, so I'd, we'd like to sort of tap you then, because it's, so this sustainability of college radio discussion is one that has come up many, many times, both at Radio Survivor, uh, the blog, and is, and of course on the podcast, because we are concerned about it, and we we do see the threats that sometimes come. They're external threats, and sometimes they're internal threats, right? Within the university, within the campus, sometimes they come from right. without. So if you were to give maybe the top two piece of advice that you would have, let's think to just to any college station, two things that they can do. And, and, and let's just say absent, you know, real funding. So something that, that they can do with, with effort, sweat and focus that could help make their station more sustainable. Do do, do you have a sense for that? What, what, what those two kind of things they could do would be? Well, I think one of them uh, is definitely to, um, have uh, a, a greater attention on uh, the uh, underwriting. I see many college stations, largely because they're student-based uh, and people come and go per semester or year, they really don't uh, go to uh, uh, clients who naturally could support the stations. That would be number one. And then number two is um, um, uh, think carefully about this student fee issue and uh, the um, great over-dependence, as far as I see, on the largesse of the uh, students, because what the students give you, the students can take away, as I saw firsthand at KCSU and Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, those are both uh, things I think worth paying attention to. Um, yeah. I noticed that uh, I've known and been at colleges and universities that, that do not allow <laughs> their stations to do underwriting or greatly limit their ability to do external fundraising. Um, but for those Man, that... Why, why is that? I mean, that is so weird to me at least, but... You know, and I've never heard a good explanation for it. It's, it's some sort of. I've never heard check. a good explanation either. Um, and you know, for it either, I think you know, and, and but you know, in terms of broadening that base of support, right? Making it, you know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, a strong table does not have one leg, and right. and to the extent to which you you know your university administration um, is willing to to let you do these things, um, you know, setting a few more legs under the table. Is always an important thing. I can make. I can also make an argument why having student fees contribute is also an important leg as well. If even if it's not the only leg of the table to, to stretch that metaphor. You know, you know to Paul. What I really think college radio needs is something like uh, uh, public radio has the development exchange, now called uh, Greater Public, and essentially it is uh, a uh, think tank for the listener-sensitive revenue, underwriting and pledging in particular. Uh, And I think that that's something where I wish that the stations could work together on to uh, not only raise the bar for their own stations, but for um, uh, college radio in general. Yeah, I think in general, college radio stations would benefit from communicating more with each other. Um, You know, going to conferences, visiting other stations, I think all of that's invaluable. But Paul, you know, as a former faculty advisor, you're busy, man. (laughs) That's not your only responsibility. I mean, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's got to be put somewhere in the, uh, on a higher priority if it's going to be possible. But I think even before that, you know, as, as you rightly said, my blog is called Spark because I like to spark conversation. And I think that college radio would benefit from that. Uh, Will uh, Robody asked me to uh, suggest a panel for the next CBI exactly about this. Great. And, and, and I, will, I told him I'd take, it, take him up on it. Uh, so I think we are in agreement that college radio has, it plays just such an important role. And we do want to see it both uh, uh, survive and also stay true to its essence, uh, because that's what makes it um, makes it different and special. Wonderful, Ken. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much uh, for taking some time out to speak with sure. us here on the Radio Survivor Show, um, and for uh, being willing to kind of do a little, spar a little bit, but I think ultimately come back to the same place uh, us all together here that we love radio we love non-commercial radio and we love college radio and and we're we're really i can say for myself i'm really glad that you've uh, started your blog and that you are uh sparking conversation within the uh, college and non-commercial radio world i think i think it's great and we, and we need to have more sparks thank you for having me on the show thank you and it's good for us to hear different perspectives too so i really appreciate <laughs> Yeah, I Jennifer, I was on. just wondering, uh, I was hoping that out of this call I'd get a free bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks so much to Ken Mills for taking the time to record that interview with us. Ken blogs about non-commercial media and radio broadcasting at acrnewsfeed.blogspot.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. If you want to share your reaction to the segment that we just heard, we want to hear from you podcast at radiosurvivor.com. You can send us an old-fashioned email. You can send us a newfangled audio commentary. The email address again is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Up next, we're going to hear from three of the founders of Freeform Portland, a new low-power FM station. I was up on the roof in North Portland where KFFP was utilizing volunteer muscle and know-how to erect their antenna for the first time. We'll hear from Jeff Simmons, who Radio Survivor listeners may remember from episode number 23 of the podcast. Jeff is the creative director at Freeform Portland. Then we'll hear from board president of Freeform Portland, Jess Poneman. And lastly, Christina Trecha, Freeform Portland's volunteer coordinator. I think it's an amazing, amazing group of people and a lot of amazing energy that's um, come together around the idea of keeping keeping it like it used to be in college um, with these low power licenses the stakes in theory are a lot lower as the capital is involved in putting it together so I think um, what a what a, a larger radio station would consider a huge risk um, in in just allowing interesting people to play whatever records they want um, is sort of not really that big of a risk to us. In fact, it's what we want. What you would think of as college radio in the 90s are sort of the underpinnings and the, the foundation of what would become independent music in general. Uh, and t- today, uh, just just from college charts and you think of signature bands like REM that came out of college radio. Um, but uh, But today, it's... I think for me anyway, it stands more for the last bastion of freeform radio where um, most people still coming out of college that are bit with the radio bug are bit with it because they're, I think, generally dumbfounded by the fact that like, on a, a university establishment would let them sit down and do whatever they want um, because in generally in, in classwork, it's, things are, it feels to me like a little more regimented, a little bit more this is the way the industry works and there's definitely that uh, mentality that's embedded in um, CMJ and NPR um, type stations and, and honestly it's, the, uh, it's the, the vocation that's available or the, the industry that's available to get into today has to do with being familiar with, with charting and with affiliates and all that jazz but simultaneously, I think a lot of people um, just play good music and have a really good time and maybe um, always cherish those memories of college radio. So I think more than the institution of college radio is what it is um, in the radio industry today. Um, and it's, um, it's really sweet memories for a lot of people. So tell me, tell me about how that maybe even gets specific about your college radio memories. But tell me about why, why you bring up college radio when you're talking about the future of of this radio station, Freeform Portland? I think because... I think because at the core of things, uh, everyone that's involved with Freeform um, learned what they know about radio from college, and they sort of originally were... They originally were bit with the bug there. Um, 
as far as being radioactive people. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to answer it, but it's, I think, it feels to me that it's, it's, it's at the core of the idea that if uh, freeform radio is going to continue, that people have to be taught that it's okay to just play good music and that, uh, and that taste is important and that charts aren't everything. Uh, because that's directly what leads to the the media m- monopolized um, playlist system that is totally in control of you know over ninety percent of the radio that we hear today, and most people don't even know it. So tell me more about about your radio background. Um, let's see. Well, I started in uh, college radio when I was about seventeen, um, and I. Uh, was the music director at KDVS for a little bit. Um, I, yeah, when I, so let's see, I have, have about, oh, and then I did, so I did undergrad and law school at KDV, or at a KDVS. At, at Davis. At Davis. And so I had a show uh, for, let's see, I've had a radio show for about, like, seven, seven, eight years. Um, and then I moved up to Portland and missed my radio show. So, so we started doing this. Um, my partner is actually on the board of X-Ray. So we're a big radio love household for sure. Um, Tell me about being the music director. At, so um, what, is, what did you do? Yeah. What, is a, what does a music director do at a college radio station like K, KDVS? So um, KDVS was great. Actually, this is um, what prompted at Freeform Portland we have a music library. Like I said, um, a lot we're looking for people who um, want to challenge themselves and learn more about radio and learn more about music. So we, for me, it was really important at KDVS to have a music library um, because that's where I sat in the stacks and listened to a bunch of music I wouldn't have otherwise had access to. Um, so in that respect, um, Freeform Portland is very similar. We have a music library with us as well. At KDVS as the music director, you're sort of in charge of the library. So you would decide what music is going to be added. You would solicit labels and promoters for new music. Um, and that's kind of the general idea of what the music director does. Um, it's same kind of situation with Freeform Portland. Um, we've got a music director here who's in charge of the library we've got a ton of volunteers that are actively working to seek new music we've got records cassettes cds at the station um, and we have actually a room that's sort of dedicated as like a listening room where people can hang out and listen to music um, because all of that is very important to us to have djs really challenging themselves with new genres and it's a freeform station so you can play you know whatever genre you'd like on your show my name is Christina Trecha, and I've been involved in Freeform Portland uh, since almost the beginning. I got pulled in to a room, and I was told that there's this amazing woman named Jess who wanted to put people in a room with a couple turntables. And I have a background in Freeform Radio. I was a music director in the 90s for my college music station, college radio station, KUOI, University of Idaho. Uh, and then I was music director right at that turn of the century when college radio was taking a deep dive into being something less important in the larger scheme of college campus community life and small town life and uh, came back to Portland where I'm from and everything said clear channel. Tell me more about your college radio experience. Uh, So I was music director from 1998 to 2001 inheriting a really rich freeform station that was a college and community station. So we had a variety of people, 24-hour programming, 
um, absolutely freeform, and the station had over 70,000 records and CDs. And so we had a really rich catalog from the 70s and 80s and 90s, and we had a really rich culture of reviewing everything that came in, and the selection process um, was a little tight, which was actually really great because we got so much stuff, but we definitely had a reputation um, for being one of the last freeform stations in the nation at the time. So when you'd go to CMJ or South by Southwest, uh, record labels would actually know that you were a freeform station and you weren't going to play what they asked you to play, but they still sent you everything, even though we didn't do rotations. So they saw some value in the fact that DJs were actually playing what they wanted to play. I didn't do college radio. My, 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 the reason I love radio is because I started being involved in my station uh, when I was 26 years old. So I missed it. And uh, I get it. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, actually, because it's a really right? amazing experience. So why? What, what, what did it give you? Um, well, I think it helped me when you're... So I went to high school in the Portland area in the 90s, and I was able to go to these shows and got hooked on this idea of local music, yet... I didn't hear anything on the radio and really didn't think there was anything on the radio you could do, so I didn't think radio was very cool, though I did listen to Drinking from Puddles on KBOO every once in a while. And there was some, I got turned on to some stuff, some stuff I didn't like at all, some stuff I got turned on to, freeform show. Um, and I remember when I went to Moscow, Idaho, and uh, someone, my sister told me about KUOI because she had lived there, and I said, no, there's no freeform radio, radio is just all corporate, it's horrible, and... Uh, I went and volunteered and started at a 6 a.m. slot, and then within a year, not even a year, I was music director because I just launched in, and I think what it helped me do is not develop taste, but understand so many different types of music, and so I feel like I don't have time for people who get super snobby about music because there's so much music. Like, you'll never hear everything that you like. So when I hear people who are really narrow-minded, I realize they haven't had those type of experiences. So hopefully Freeform can open people up a little bit more to that because I feel like a Freeform College Station, you, you don't have choice. Someone else is choosing that and you're listening to the station so much. So you get exposed to a lot of music. Eric, thanks for getting that tape or those bits on a card, as it is now. Um, I'm very excited for this new radio station here in Portland and for all these stations like Freeform Portland going on the air around the country. And, you know, the word that I heard or, or the sentiment I heard over and over again was community, whether it's community within the station, which I think is actually a really important component of everyone being united around this cause as well as the the community out there, the listeners, and in some cases, maybe people who don't yet listen as well. But uh, that that's what struck me that that it's it's it was it's human connection, which seems to be driving folks to want to be up on top of a building, putting up an antenna to get this new low power station yeah, and on the, the air. And the big surprise to me was that that human connection, that community radio. Uh, ethos that that was driving people at freeform portland um they learned it in college that was a surprise i didn't know that that was what i was going to find out when i got there jennifer is well, that does that does that, <laughs> does that does, how does that jive with with your experiences well well yeah because when you're 
and, and it was interesting to hear that a few of the people were former college radio music directors. It was making me think, you know, how many former college radio music directors does it take to start a new LPFM? <laughs> um, yeah, and it's important to note that those they that was their student role. They were students and music directors. Exactly. And so I think I think that's part of it, you know, when you're working at a college radio station, it's it's real work. And you're working together as a community to do this incredible project. So it it really sets people up nicely for starting radio stations in the future, and and for a whole lot of other things. But you know, I know I know other people who have started new low power FM stations who got their start in college radio. So I'm I'm sure that this is this story that you're telling about Freeform Portland is a similar story is probably being told at at many new low power FM stations, which is exciting. And it's another, it's another sort of testament to the power of college radio, the power of that experience. Um, and that, and also that people are still, are still seeking not only these experiences of working together in a creative community to do something related to music, but also that there is still a dearth of, of that kind of radio around. So they saw a need that, you know, we're not hearing freeform radio like we'd like to have in Portland, so we're going to start our own station. So I, I think it's it's really exciting. I felt like I was on the roof with them and kind of can't wait to hear what they're up to. And that creative community is something that you're always reminding us about, both uh, on your College Radio Watch weekly feature at radiosurvivor.com and here on the podcast, that it's not just this one DJ behind the microphone on the air once or, or, or twice a week, but that it is a creative community. Can you talk a little bit more about why you, you, you think that college radio or a college radio station is a creative community, emphasis community? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is, is the volunteer element of it that, um, I mean, it's interesting to be talking about this after we just talked to Ken Mills who um, he has more of a a ratings oriented um, perspective on things, um, and also sort of a money perspective that stations need to be sustainable and need to be bringing in fundraising dollars and underwriting. Um, but actually, a lot of the work of college radio is unpaid work that that doesn't have to do with money. So you rely on each other to do the work to keep the station going. And that's a lot of actually the sustainability in college radio is this unpaid labor. So you have to work together. You have to figure out um, how to manage people. And for a lot of college students, that's their first experience with that. Um, but at the same time, you're doing something creative. You're creating media. So so for me, some of the most important experiences of my entire life were producing student media, uh, whether at my high school newspaper which, you know, was very similar in that we were all working really hard together to create media. We weren't getting paid. Uh, we didn't have those sorts of rewards, but the reward was that our peers were reading work that we created and, you know, we were proud of it. Um, and the same kind of experience happens in college radio where, you know, you get excited by phone calls from people who are listening and say that, wow, you know, you turned me on to a song I'd never heard before, or you made my day better. I was having a really bad day and, and I was driving and heard your song, heard your show. And it, 
it changed things for me completely. Um, so there's power in that. And I guess that is some of that sort of intangible. Some of it is tangible in that there's power in producing great work as a team. And, and I think that's part of the reason that people look fond, look back fondly on their college radio experiences because they worked hard together and, and had, um, you know, created something that people enjoyed. And there's another leg to that community table uh, to borrow a metaphor from Paul. And that's that um, the musicians are, are members of the community. Oftentimes, sometimes, uh, sometimes the past, sometimes it's a link to the past and sometimes it's a link to someone else's community, but um, at its best, perhaps the, when a, a local station plays local music, um, that, that's another way that it builds community and that the community is strengthened by, by a great station being on the air. And it's, um, I just, ah, it makes me very happy. And, it's, and for, to use Portland as an example, Portland is a, is a, is a town full of artists. It's actually a, a city full of artists. And for, for Portland not to have a station devoted to the art, to the music of this city, um, that's I think that's what the people of Freeform Portland and, and I were think you addressing. mean sort of uh, 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 a station that is wholly devoted because we, we have right. we have we have community radio stations in Portland that yes, dedicate which, quite a bit of airtime to music. What is common in community radio is that you know especially because we it has roots in the time when most cities were lucky if they had a single community radio station, so you had to represent a lot of different interests and a lot of different artistic outputs with one frequency. So they have lots of talk and public affairs. They have lots of music and they may even have programming, which like radio drama and other sorts of programming that don't hew to either line. Right. And, and so Portland has had a community radio station that, yeah, a wonderful one, that, that a is, wonderful that, station that people on the roof were happy to name check. Exactly. So you have both KBOO and you have X-Ray, which both dedicate time to talk and music programming. Mm-hmm. And I think what's great about low power FM is it's giving many communities the opportunity to have multiple stations rather than, than, than a scarcity mindset in which we have to fight over time, which is often what happens behind the scenes on the one frequency because it's all we have. You know, why does uh, iHeartMedia get to have four stations or three stations? And, you know, and why does classic rock get to be represented on two or three stations? Why can't we have multiple community stations that represent different uh, colors in this spectrum of our community. And that's what's great to me about what's happening here in Portland. And I hope it's happening in cities around the country that a freeform FM can go on freeform Portland can go on the air really dedicated to, to exclusively to music, allowing an x-ray FM to continue to have its, its morning talk programming and allow KBU to do what it does well and to have talk programming and a variety of programming because they're, it's, complementing each other. Yeah, and I, I do really mean that, that the sense of a spectrum there. Um, it's, it's a lot of the same here. people. It's the community, the community in these community stations are oftentimes uh, the same individuals. They'll wear multiple sweatshirts with the call letters of all these stations on because they love all of them and support all of them. So yeah, and very it, exciting. And it's, and it's great. I mean, it's great to have all those choices. Um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have numerous 
college radio stations that are on the FM dial. And I love that. Like there, there shouldn't be just one college station or just one community station. That, you know, it's, that's where I learned to love college radio was living in the East Bay. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I say it's an embarrassment of riches, but you know, that's the way it should be in every city that when you flip around, you have a wide array of stations across every category. Um, you know, that, that's what I love. And they can work together. So here's the great thing. The, the competition is let the commercial stations worry about competition. All of these stations can acknowledge each other, help each other, create mutual aid. And that's, I think this is, is, it keeps coming up. We wish college stations would work together, right, uh, across the nation. And community stations do work together to some extent through the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. But now we have all these new low-power stations coming on the air that can also work together. But I think also city to city now. When you have stations united by this communitarian purpose in, on the non-commercial end of the dial, uh, they have an opportunity as well. Because it, it's not collusion. It's a matter of 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 making sure to create this healthy, uh, you know, it, it's really like a healthy environment, yeah. right? I mean, there's but, like a, a, in any local community, you'll have a chamber of commerce and you'll have businesses that are otherwise competitors working side by side often on common goals, working with, with municipalities, working to create, you know, often a, a, a good environment for small businesses in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think, I hope that there's this opportunity now for non-commercial stations for, to help each other community to community is sort of like a chamber of community radio. Yeah, because it's not a zero sum game no. for community radio. The better radio gets in this in the place where you live, the more people will be listening to radio at any given moment. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with them switching the dial from your station to the other station in your community because it's still radio. And uh, and they'll switch the dial back Everyone when they wins. want. Yeah, and maybe it'll convince yeah. that sixteen-year-old to buy a radio. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my radio friends in the Bay Area, you know, we all listen to each other's stations, and you know, particularly after KUSF uh, went off FM, I think people in in the San Francisco Bay Area realized, wow, you know. We are all in this together and we really need to support each other. Yeah, because that station went down not for lack of uh, passion in the audience. Right. The audience was there. It right. just uh, – there were other factors. Yeah, and so people from from that station have spread out to various other stations. Um, and during, during the shutdown, um, many stations had interviews with people from KUSF. So I think that actually really – made a lot of people realize for the first time the importance of a broader radio community. Um, And, you know, I see examples of this all the time um, that aren't born out of a crisis, uh, like college stations working together, even in different cities to produce a mixtape together, you know, things like that. Like you might meet another station at a conference and decide, hey, let's do a cool collaborative project together. Or College Radio Day is another, I think, example of stations working together on this big, massive nationwide project. Yeah, which includes some production where they have um, bits from stations from all over the country. Um, And then, you know, sometimes that material then is aired on different stations all over the country. So I think that's great. You can have virtual collaborations. You can have in-person collaborations, um, even just chatting on Facebook. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. And so, Eric, I really appreciate that you went up there and to get that tape up there. And you're going to share more with us uh, in, uh, is it going to be next week? The week after. The week after, okay. Cause, yeah, because next week on, on uh, Radio Survivor, we're going to hear... Um, we're going to hear from Max Hall and from uh, Brian Fatou, uh, who are going to talk about radio art. Radio uh, art. Back Bri- to radio art. We that's need right. to do more. Yeah. <laughs> Brian is our, our, our radio scholarship correspondent. Uh, he, that's his beat. And he covers for RadioSurvivor.com. And this will be his first time on the podcast uh, interviewing the great Mags Hall, who is a UK-based radio artist and professor who does some really amazing, uh, amazing projects. Uh, she is a true radio lover. So uh, that'll be great. I can't wait to hear that interview. And, and I know. Me too. And next week I love her work. And next week, we'll also talk with uh, John Anderson of Brooklyn College. He also attended the uh, Radio Preservation Conference uh, last month in Washington, D.C. And he's going to talk about the section that he heads up, which is about labor radio. Um, So we had a really interesting conversation about that. And it's an often forgotten piece of radio history and present. So that'll also be on right. next week's show. And then, so the, it's the week following that sh- uh, that program that I'll bring um, the uh, all of the tape that I recorded up on the roof there in North Portland with the raising of Freeform Portland's antenna because I had the opportunity to speak with with um, a number of those uh, founding antenna raisers, and the the conversations that we recorded were were wide ranging about community radio and a passion for it. Um, it, it was not my intention to bring it to the show today, but it was so exciting that we were having this conversation about college radio. And it turned out that, uh, the people I met up there on the roof had a lot of experience with it. So yeah, we'll, uh, I look forward to, to putting that, that documentary together. So as I'm sure you're already finding Eric, college radio alums are everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have to, uh. Just get used to it. So we'd love to hear from you. We're talking to you, the listener. Uh, do you have college radio experience that you'd love to tell us about or, or love to share? Uh, please, we, we'd like to hear about it. Uh, send us an email to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Or is there a station going up in your town, a low-power FM station? Maybe you'd like to send us an audio postcard. Just take your smartphone out and uh, use that audio recorder app and... Share that audio with us. We'd love to hear. I mean, you know, we we don't have the resources, unfortunately, right now to go travel the country and uh, and sit in on all these uh, essential barn, essentially what are barn raisings of stations. We'd love to bring many more those audio postcards. So if you would be willing to be a deputized correspondent here and and go attend one or talk with folks putting on news stations in your town, we'd we'd love to hear that or, or uh, we'd love to at least uh, for you to direct us their way. We could talk with them on the phone or on Skype, uh, let us know. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I want to give a shout out to a listener who dropped us a line. His name is Alvaro Burns. He goes by Burns, he says. And he lives in São Bernardo in Brazil. A community radio person in Brazil. That's, yeah. a fan of ours. I can't tell you uh, how that, what that, what kind of energy that imparted to me for days, finding out that we had a listener, uh, uh, outside of the United States who loves community radio. Yeah, he started in community radio in 2007, and he does currently host his own podcast. Uh, it's a music and talk podcast, and it is really uh, dedicated to the community uh, of Sao Bernardo. Um, 
I, I don't speak Portuguese, so I'm going to butcher this. I apologize, Burns. The name is called Aora do Cafagino, I think is how you would say that. Um, it translates to coffee time. Um, we'll yeah, put a coffee link. Coffee talk in oh, Portuguese. Coffee time. Yeah, I know, but I. I'm you just want joking. coffee talk? Coffee talk. Yes, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll <laughs> put a link to his podcast in our show notes, which is at rayosurvivor.com slash podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, Burns, and we hope you stay tuned. and And maybe you'd love to file a report on uh, Brazilian community radio, which is which is really well developed. In fact, um, I'm sure Matthew would love to hear from hear about it. We'd all love to hear about it. Maybe you'd like to uh, get on the phone with us and and tell us a little bit more about what's going on there in, in South America. And it goes to show you, we love hearing from listeners. So, so please do, do get in touch. We appreciate every minute you spend with us every week that you listen. Thank you so much for your time. Jennifer, thanks for coming on with us and inviting Ken on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. And thank you, Eric. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you to the listeners, too. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for listening.